Hi, and welcome to the Habits Habit Podcast. My name is Brian Conroy. This is my podcast, and it's a podcast about habits, happiness, and human behavior. So if this is your first time listening, you are very welcome. Uh, if it is your first time listening, you'll have missed some of the earlier interviews um, in which I was talking a lot about hydration and the habits of hydration. And my guests this week on the show, and you'll have to forgive me if I say this, because uh, I think if I was listening, I'd go, oh God, this sounds boring. It's really not. Um, my guests this week are talking about the habits of hydration um, and why it is that something that is in theory so very easy drink water uh, is actually not that easy at all uh, and why so many of us a huge percentage of the population are at any given time underhydrated or fully dehydrated um, so that is what we're talking about today um, the two guests in question are from the University of Glasgow. I'm joined by research assistant Amy Roger and Dr. Esther Pappies, uh, who studies, and I quote, cognitive processes underlying the regulation of health and consumer behaviour and behaviour change, especially in the domain of healthy and sustainable eating and drinking. Um, and some of the work that um, Dr. Pappies has done is really fascinating about um, why we drink what um, they call so sugar sweetened beverages, which are like, you know, soft drinks or minerals in Ireland um, it's really interesting and we're going to be chatting about um, how to drink more water how to basically how to drink more of the good stuff and less of the bad stuff um, and as I say this is something that I talk about a lot uh, and it's something that I took up uh, a couple of months ago uh, and for the first time in my life started being properly hydrated every day and I'll be telling you a little bit about that uh, in the interview so um, yeah listen if you want to learn more I'm running a course that's free in January 2021 I don't know when you'll be listening to this may no longer be free uh, about how to develop some of these habits in the same way as you can develop the habit of drinking water you'll find more on the website thehabitshabit.com right now though amy roger and dr esther pappies this is the habits habit one of the things that uh, was interesting to me as a as a kind of starter question um was uh, you say in the um report that the current research has implications which could be of interest to a variety of readers with applied interests from developers of large-scale health interventions to individual health practitioners. So you weren't expecting me to pop up and go, oh, I've read it. It's very interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I suppose for that we're thinking, um, yeah, applied in terms of research and, and health. So yeah, no, the podcast was a, was a surprise that um, individuals just in general you know, wanting to know more about habit change and popped up. So, yeah, definitely wasn't expecting that. But but what what's interesting to me is, um, and, and Esther, this might be something that you can speak to more than anything else. The science, you know, this is something, in my view, that we should all be interested in, that, you know, it shouldn't be the reserve of science or scientists that... Like, is there a bit of a disconnect between the important work you're doing and Joe Public, who probably needs to hear this the most? So the way we're saying, oh, you know, we've done this research, it shows this. Now, uh, health professionals or people or whatever um, should get this message out there. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, and that is actually what got us into this work to begin with. Um Although I'm afraid it's maybe even a little bit worse than what you're saying. It's not per se only a disconnect between what we as a research community know and the general public. But even within the research community, I find it very striking how little we know about water consumption and water habits. 
So we know a lot about why it's important metabolically, in terms of affect, in terms of cognitive functions, especially in children. It's very clear. So with that, in that regard, the science really supports that we should be drinking more. Also suggests that most people or many people and most children tend to be underhydrated. And so that's bad news, right? And at the same time, water drinking strikes me as a relatively simple behavior, very low cost as well. Um, so I'm surprised that we don't really know much at all about why people drink water and also why they don't drink water. So it's not only that, you know, the general public isn't really aware, but even among scientists, it's not getting the attention I think the topic deserves. It strikes me as something relatively um yeah, easy, like low-hanging fruit in terms of like a public health intervention, getting people to drink more water. And so I think it's really important to look at this uh, in more detail and see how we can, you know, facilitate habit change um, to move people away from like unhealthy drinks, but also just increase hydration in general. Well, what's interesting about that, and I, I fully agree with you, is how I got here. So just for background, I suppose, for you and for everyone else, um, I became really, really interested in habits. So, you know, my whole life I've been looking at to-do lists and matrices, and I've always been one who was trying to be more productive and trying to achieve more and trying to do more in less time. But that ultimately led me to um, the kind of study, if I could call it that, of habits. And then I did a huge list of like, I don't know, a hundred and something habits that I thought would be beneficial to me. And I started ranking them in terms of where I would start and what I would do. And the very first habit was the, the habit of hydration. For all the reasons that you've just said, I thought, well, what I figured was the kind of return on investment, if I could call it like that, uh, was huge for what is... in theory and we'll come to how the theory could be wrong or whatever but is very easy so like as you say drinking water is simple uh, it should be an easy habit to acquire and then the benefits of it are great and so that's why I said if I'm going to develop a habit that's going to be the first one I'm going to start with that seems like a smart approach and principle yeah um I think what would help in addition is that somehow you find the behavior intrinsically rewarding. So it's one thing to make a list where you know kind of conceptually what are the benefits of doing the behavior, why it would be good for you, why maybe other people would approve of you doing it. The other thing is you really believing it and maybe physically believing it or affectively. So having felt that you feel better, that you feel more alert, you feel fitter, you feel stronger, when you drink more water, that might help because it will make you really believe in, in these kind of intrinsically rewarding benefits of drinking water. And so um, in research on habit formation, these kind of inherent, inherently motivating processes seem to really play a role in making it easier to form habits. So either maybe that is already the case, which is which could be a reason why you put water at the top of your list, or you want to maybe experiment with that. So you find ways of experiencing the reward so that you kind of can strengthen this resolve with like an intrinsic motivation. Um, can I just ask uh, either of you or both of you um, to, to, and I don't want to take up the whole podcast with what is a habit, but I suppose it's important in context, particularly if people might come to this episode without having heard some of the other episodes like Professor Wendy Wood talking about it. So 
for the purpose of this research paper on habits of hydration, how would you or how did you define what is habitual behavior or what a habit is? Amy, do you want to take that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think for us, what was really important is um, we looked at habit um, very much. It's a kind of process where you'll have some form of stimulus which will generate this um, impulse um, towards the certain behaviour that, that you want to perform. Um, but all of this is very much contextualised within the setting. So depending on what setting, depends on what, on what stimulus will be you know, salient to you will be effective in prompting a behaviour and your, you know, your previous action um, of performing that behaviour and the rewards that you associate with it, you know, will also impact um, whether you perform this behaviour uh, repeatedly. So it's something that's very easy um, for you to do because you've learned a kind of stimulus response association um, to performing this behavior, but it is contextualized so that what the stimulus is and what the response is, is, is very much linked to whatever situation you are in at the time. Um, so that's how we were kind of, um, conceptualizing this water drinking habit or just habits more generally, um, yeah. coming out. I, I, and I think that that kind of broadly aligns and, and I don't want to, I, I'm conscious of, uh, you know, me being a layperson dumbing down your science. But, it, you know, if you were to Google habit now or read any of the, the most popular, you know, uh, amateur guides to, to habits, that's kind of in line with the kind of cue craving reward or cue, you know, the stimulus response. So I think people can kind of get that. And when you did your research, particularly the um, the context part I thought was really interesting. It's this idea of situational water drinking. So can you explain that to me uh, in terms of, because having gone through the exercise myself, I could relate to it and I'll, I'll kind of give you my experience afterwards. But for anyone else who, who's new to the game, uh, what was the, the finding in relation to that? Yeah, so I think the finding, and, and that's the kind of, the, the there's two kind of big findings. The first being that, you know, the tendency is for water drinking to exist as a situated habit. So this means your habitual water drinking behavior and that easy, effortless kind of water drinking stimulus response that you've formed happens within the context of, you know, different internal or external situations. And, uh, you know, there's a variety of these situations that people use. For example, um, an internal one would be thirst. So when you're thirsty, you know, the habit was to go and get a glass of water. Um, there was external ones uh, that people also showed, such as, you know, within their work routine, they would have a really good habit of drinking water. Um, or when they were at home, they had a really good habit of drinking water. And I think it was important to contextualize this because it did have, you know, the way in which people situated their water consumption, the situations that they used had um, an impact on the amount and then the consistency that they were drinking. So... For, from my um, point of view and my experience, and I, I would never in a million years have called it situational water drinking before I read your uh, paper, but that's exactly my experience. So there was kind of certain times where I would always drink water 
even when I was trying to. So even when I was trying to, when I was, if you like, there was a, a large conscious element of trying to develop the habit. The first one was first thing in the morning to down a pint of water. And then the second one was really in work. When I was in the office, I had a kind of routine. The bottle was beside me on my desk. I would drink it. Then I would go, you know, to the same place, to the same tap and kind of run through the same process. So I would be very well hydrated kind of from nine to five. But then when I got home, I might drink nothing else after five o'clock. And that is kind of more or less consistent with what you found for most people. And we'll come to the, the, I suppose, the outliers in a minute. But that's kind of how most of us do it, whether it's the gym or whether it's work. It's it, it is a habit in the sense that you do it in the same time, in the same way, in the same place, roughly. But it's a habit that's specifically tied to that event or that place. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that's the key there. It's specifically tied to that situation because when we spoke to people and we were developing this kind of interpretation of what the participants were telling us, um, you know, it was just cemented by the fact that, you know, like you said, when they left work where this was a habit, so at the weekends, their water consumption was pretty much non-existent or, you know, someone who really like said that they drank loads in summer and warm climates you know when it got into winter they were like well it's winter so (laughs) I don't drink water then you know I I, and they what was actually I think just as um, surprising to us was this was surprising to them to actually think about this behavior that happens so automatically in their daily life you never actually take a moment to think why am I doing this why is this happening or why is it not happening that when they had this ability to speak to me and and kind of uncover this some of these kind of insights they were giving me were also surprising to them so they're like oh well I don't actually know why I don't drink it at home you know I've just never drank it at home it's it's what I drink at work so um, I think that was really nice to, to see as well that it's important just to ask people to get them to consider this to really understand what the behavior um how the behavior is being formed and being maintained. Um, go ahead, Esther, sorry. Yeah, maybe just one thing to add here in the context of water being um, kind of a relatively easy health behavior. So in general, we see that for health behavior change, the main problem is the maintenance of a new behavior. Um, and that's really the thing with health behavior. If you really want to benefit from it, you'll have to do it for the rest of your life. And that's a long time, right? So it's not enough to eat veg once or to eat fruit once. No, you if you really want to have, have a healthy diet, you'll need to create a habit and eat more fruit and veg for the rest of your life. And if you look at it that way, you could also say actually that drinking water is a pretty extreme health behavior because it's not enough to have a you know, a water drinking habit of drinking a pint after you wake up, you'll have to drink more throughout the day. So pretty much to keep your body well hydrated, you'll have to be drinking water throughout the day. And that is maybe what makes water different from other kinds of health behaviors, this kind of sustained um, habit that you'll need every day or every part of the day in every situation you are. So maybe from that perspective, you know, we should consider water actually, water drinking behavior a pretty... um yeah, extreme or sophisticated health behavior. And that's, I think, what we see reflected in these data, that people aren't really very well able to uh, to sustain that throughout each day of their lives. And that, Esther, is why you're the esteemed uh, psychologist and expert and why I'm not. That I would never have thought of that in a million years. But now that you've said it, I've done some very quick maths um, uh, while you were talking. And uh, if I want to keep this habit, I'll pretty much have to drink about 50,000 litres of water 
um, during the course of the rest of my life, which now that you've raised it to my attention is pretty extreme. That is a lot of water. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) Well, I mean... I mean, I did go uh, almost like down a, a, a nerdy YouTube hole um, when I read your paper, because then I did go on and read some of the other stuff about the um, sugar sweetened beverages and, and the things you've done in relation to food. Um, and we might get to those uh, themselves, but I'm interested in uh, not just in relation to water, but generally this overlap between uh, knowledge and action. So, um two things that were quite interesting I thought from reading your paper was how little people knew about how important it was to be hydrated and the importance of water and things like that that's the first thing but then the second thing was how little it mattered so even when people did know it was a good thing to do they still didn't do it so it's this and 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 there's one very striking um, example of of a doctor who says you know I'm giving this advice to patients about being hydrated but I'm not doing it myself mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by the disconnect between what we know is good for us and our ability to maintain the good habit that goes with what we know is good for us like mm-hmm. it, it that's just mind-boggling to me yeah. I, I know I know it I do it instinctively I do lots of things that are bad for me and not enough things that are good for me um, and I keep asking people and, you know, I'm sure you're going to be exacerbated as every other expert or psychologist I've asked because, well, we'll see. Why? Why do we do that? Or why don't we do that? I think this finding was actually very surprising to us when we first kind of were starting to get that interpretation that, you know, people actually, they have this vague idea that they should be doing it, but they don't fully know why or they don't believe in the reasons why that they're kind of listing off to me almost just as if they're reciting facts they've been told. Um, And then we took a step back and kind of thought about it. And actually, I mean, it makes sense, the big pushes in health behavior when you think of you know, policy in, in our country have been on food and a lot of the rhetoric on the healthy diet is on food. And even when you look at Scotland's public health policies, you know, water isn't one of the main kind of goals there. It's healthy eating and reducing SSP and reducing alcohol. So we are actually in a kind of cultural bubble where this isn't a, a prominent health behaviour that we're we're kind of promoting. Even in research, water is called the forgotten nutrient. So it kind of comes back to what Esther is saying, that actually just in, even in the research community, there's that need to have more of a focus on it because there, um, then we can inform policy and, and that can trickle down into informing individuals. Um, so I think it's a, um, it actually does make sense when you kind of try and take a step back and think, why is it that so many people don't really understand or, or know why this behaviour is important? And then for understanding why there's such a disconnect, I mean... Um, the intention behavior gap kind of is there for almost every health behavior that you want to try and promote in people. I think a lot of the time, you know, things just, it's not just about knowing, it's about valuing this, like um, Esther mentioned that as well, that actually um, knowing that it's important, but valuing the importance of it. So having that kind of intrinsic motivation where, um the benefits that come with it are valuable to you and that goal having that goal day to day is valuable to you and who you are as a person um that is important for you know trying to maybe close that gap um and then also just having the tools to 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 make an effective attempt at change i mean for some people um 
they wanted to make that change, but you know, they didn't know how to, and, and no wonder they didn't know how to. Even us as researchers, you know, the experts on it are still trying to understand the best ways that people can put this um, behavior into practice. So I think there's a there's a lot of things um, that go into that. And uh, yeah, it's very easy to say they don't know, and how, how do they not know? But there are there do seem to be a, a few reasons why um, why that's the case, and um, you can explain that kind of finding there. Well, I don't know if it would be useful if I explain how I did it and you can I did not critique me, but um, it, it's just because I, I treated it as an experiment. You know, I mean, part of this uh, podcast is talking to experts like yourselves. Part of it is talking to uh, other high achievers and part of it is me trying to establish the habits. So hydration was the habit for this month. We're on day 27. Um, and we're like, let's not get into the 21 day, 66 day thing, particularly because I'm going to be talking to Pippa Lally about that in a couple of weeks. But um, I, I've set myself kind of a month and then I will consider myself to be roughly halfway through that habit and have enough capacity, if you like, to take on another one. So I'll be starting another one on this 1st of December. Now, what I started doing was very simply... Um, buying water bottles that I liked. Mm -hmm. So I was going with this idea of making it stand out, making it obvious. So I bought a colored water bottle and I was like, right, that's obvious. I'm going to see that. It's new. It's shiny. It's going to be attractive. Fine. And then I tried setting reminders on my phone for every hour so that if whatever I was supposed to have drunk. So I was quite methodical about it. I decided how much I wanted to drink. And then I said, right, I'm usually awake from seven in the morning till uh, 11 at night. So there's 16 hours there and I divided it up and I decided how much I needed to drink in what amount of time. And then I set my reminders and that was all going quite well. Um, and I suppose even as I'm saying it now, I'm thinking, well, the only reason I did all this is because I'm interested in it and going to make a podcast about it. I don't think the ordinary member of the public would do that, which, of course, is one of the problems. We'll come back to it. What I discovered was the reminder was on my phone and my phone was binging for all sorts of things. So I started missing the reminders or snoozing it or missing it. And then I was missing the water. So then I got it. I didn't specifically buy a new watch for this, but I did get a new watch. And so I put the reminder on my watch as a kind of repeating countdown timer. And so the only time my watch made any noise was when I had to drink water. So it was kind of isolated. So if my watch vibrated, I had to drink water. Um, and that kind of did it. And after about maybe 10 days of doing that, mm -hmm. I'd just gotten into the habit. Mm -hmm. yeah. How did I do? <laughs> yeah, so I think there's kind of two things we can relate that to in terms of our findings is that, you know, the you are putting a lot of effort into this it's clear and and actually even from just your explanation it just shows you it's not that simple to incorporate this into your day-to-day -day routine um as you would think so it's about making that cue salient so for you when you had it on your phone you know that idea of people just being distracted and forgetful and more prominent goals like your work that you're doing throughout the day you know they just they take precedence over this kind of new goal that you're trying to build and when it was on your phone it was um you know too contextualized in with all the other information that you were using your phone for um and the we saw that with people who did this well they did what you did they were able to identify barriers to their behavioral change so for you it was okay i'll try the phone but the phone's not working so how am i gonna rectify that 
and then you managed to find another delivery system which was more salient to you on your on your wrist um but that involves you being first of all able to identify the barriers and then having like an active reaction to them and i think what a lot of people tend to do is they try and implement a new behavior they come up to a barrier and then there's this passive reaction of well it must just be too hard and, and i and i can't do it and we saw that a lot with people so um yeah you, you did really well um it's just about how do you get other people to have that ability to um identify these barriers to implementing the behavior and then giving them also like alternative routes so like for you changing the alarm to your watch making that alarm more salient to you in the day so that that goal um, took precedence throughout the day when you wanted to do it. Um, how, how do you allow that for people? Um, and how do you give them advice so that they can do that effectively? I think are kind of two of the things also that we discuss that need to be done in terms of getting people to drink more water effectively. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job, but you could launch a campaign called Be Like Brian. I'll just <laughs> float it out there and just, you know, I could I could be the face of this whole new endeavour. <laughs> I like um, uh, but Esther, is it, if you like, in terms of, of say, your extensive work on sugar-sweetened beverages and, and food, um, it's it's probably, it's just too much to expect people to do that for each of those habits, uh, and it wouldn't work as well. So I can't set an alarm to remind me not to drink sugar-sweetened beverages. Um, so, you know, I'm just thinking... Typically, when people decide, so drinking more water, as you've kind of touched on, is it's a health thing. So it's part of your overall efforts to be healthy. But typically, if if people are trying to be more healthy, so you'll find like with the New Year's resolution, New, new Year, New Me, I'm going to be really healthy. They will want to um, drink more water, drink less sugar beverages, eat better, do more exercise. They're just they're taking on too much, right? Yeah, I think in general, it's probably um, a good strategy to start with a feasible kind of set of goals for the future. So that indeed what Amy was also alluding to, you don't get demoralized um, or totally derailed when one thing doesn't work and then totally give up. Um, a lot of these um, behavior changes, I think that people plan, though, they lend themselves to substitution. And substitution generally in terms of habits, as you will know probably from own experience, is easier than just giving up a certain behavior. So in terms of sugar-sweetened beverages, of course, um, one thing that contributes to this intention behavior gap of people uh, consuming healthy beverages is that they get tempted to drink something else. Um, and so we see that people who drink a lot of sugar-sweetened beverages really think about these drinks intensely in terms of the, the taste, the mouthfeel, and also the really nice, fun, summary social situations in which they drink those drinks. And when we ask people, what are the situations when you drink sugar-sweetened beverages, they indeed list things like going out with friends, having a drink with friends, going to a party, going out for a nice meal at a restaurant, being on a holiday, traveling, all kinds of rather pleasant experiences that people represent positively. When you ask them when they drink water, they will say, well, when I'm really thirsty, when I'm out and about, or when I'm shopping, or after exercising, or at work. So people don't really think about water in terms of really fun and rewarding consumption situations. 
And that shows in how they cognitively represent water. So we've done a lot of research asking people to simply describe different drinks. And when they describe sugary drinks, they say, you know, these words around taste and texture, and it feels fun in your mouth, and it's rewarding, it tastes great, it's delicious and cold. And for water, they will say it's boring, it's convenient, it's bland, um, and it's good for you in this rather abstract sense that also uh, Amy mentioned. So it's very clear that sugar-sweetened beverages have these strong have have a strong temptation value, and that creates this intention behavior gap. People know for the long term they shouldn't be drinking it in terms of their health, um, the health of their teeth, weight, all these kinds of things. But in the moment, those parts of our knowledge don't influence our decisions. In the moment, what people go for is the direct pleasure. And sugar-sweetened beverages are represented in terms of this pleasure, and water is not. SSBs are also advertised in terms of that pleasure, and water is not. Water is advertised more in terms of purity um, and long-term health benefits. Um, but again, that doesn't motivate people in the moment. Um, so really getting people to um, to yet to get over that temptation is really kind of important when they want to substitute one drink for another. Um, because again, replacing sugar-sweetened beverages with water is a better strategy than just saying, you know, I want to drink less unhealthy drinks, for example. So I think having kind of um, um, an approach that you describe where you also try to find pleasure in drinking water, for example, having a really nice bottle a bottle that you like picking up, that feels good in the moment, that looks good to yourself, pleasing to the eye, and that you want to be seen with um, by other people, for example. That might be a good start to kind of, you know, add a bit of value, a kind of a bit of pleasure to drinking water that maybe the taste of water doesn't initially afford. Um, so having these kind of replacement strategy where you're kind of aware of the positive affect from the short-term rewarding behavior that you're trying to battle, basically, that might be kind of a good general approach for trying to uh, to improve health habits. That's really interesting, but it also comes back to this situational um, drinking finding that you found, because, f for example, uh, in my example, so if I'm in the office, yeah. I will be drinking my water and everything's going fine. When I have my bottle, I'm drinking my water and everything's going fine. When I go into a shop, I am not buying a bottle of water. No way. Never. Um, and that's because I guess I'm in a different context now and I'm in a shop which I associate with buying treats or buying nice things. And I will always buy a sugar sweetened beverage. And I, I'm pretty sure I would still do it if I went to the shop directly after our conversation, even no, you know, even knowing my attempt to drink water and, and knowing the health benefits and whatever else, which I guess goes to show, again, once you're outside of that context, or if you have a queue in a shop that for the last 10 years, every time you've bought a drink in a shop, it's been a sugar-sweetened beverage, that is another kind of mountain to climb, isn't it? Yeah, that absolutely comes um, comes on top. And, um, you know, there's lots of clever marketing people out there who've Build their careers on getting you exactly to this point, you know, and there you are against those billions. Yeah. So, you know, it's not your fault and you're not the only one. And that's what we got to deal with. And basically, the easiest strategy would be not to expose yourself. 
Um, so <laughs> that no. would absolutely help if you have the opportunity to avoid, you know, those experiences. I think that is fascinating that you've said that. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because that was a strategy I proposed um, to my wife uh, at one point, not just about that, but about, um, you know, all sorts of junk food and, and alcohol and everything. I basically, and it sounded, I think, I think the reason it was shot down was because it sounded like I was trying to get out of something. But I did basically say, look, I can't do the shopping. If I go into the shop, I'm coming back with a trolley full of crap. Um, so you're, you're going to have to go. And she just has much, I don't know whether it's, I don't really want to get into the willpower conversation, but we might have to. Like she has better willpower than I do in the sense that if there's a chocolate bar in the fridge, she can open it and take a square or two and put it back and it might still be there days later. Like I cannot do that. I don't think any normal person can do that. I think she might be a serial killer. But like this this idea that instead of trying to rely on your willpower or trying to fight your way through it, it's just don't go into the shop. I mean, it, it sounds so basic. Yeah, but I think um, the research really supports, supports that as a strategy. So there is some great work by Wilhelm Hofmann uh, in Germany out there showing that, um, you know, when you ask people throughout the day at random intervals between 8 a.m. and midnight, um, whether they experience some kind of desire at that point and what that desire is for, they experience a desire most of the time, I think around 75% of the time. And then later when you ask you know, how have you dealt with that desire? Have you given in or did you do something else? Did you forget about it? In the end, even if it's not right away, most of these desires are enacted. So basically, you want to kind of prevent desires being triggered in the first place, because once you have it, it's likely that you will act on it sooner or later. And um, you can resist it sometimes only so long and then you'll 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 give in. So I think um, it's a really good point and it's often um, given as advice to people who try to diet, for example, if there are certain foods you don't want to eat, make sure you don't have them at home. And I think the same applies to um, to shopping behavior. If there are certain foods you don't want to buy, make sure you're not tempted to buy them, just like you should make sure you're not tempted to eat them at home. So I don't know. I mean... We have really good experiences, for example, with online shopping, with getting groceries delivered to the home. And I, being a mom of two very young children, I find that really helpful because I don't have to take them to the store and engage in discussions about which trees I should buy them or not. Um, so basically, we can avoid that whole battle, but just because by, you know, buying always the same list of kind of pre-selected groceries from the store and not having to consider every time whether you should buy a treat or not. It just kind of makes it easier so you can exert your willpower on uh, on other things, basically. So I think in general, it's a, it's a good strategy or even indeed to outsource to people who you perceive has more willpower. You don't know when your wife maybe eats chocolate, but if you think she eats less and she can control it better, um, that's probably a smart strategy. Yeah, you're you're right. I should get her to do everything. I can't wait to tell her the good news. Um, I'm just thinking while we were speaking there and to bring it back to water and, and my personal issues, not that I'm trying to get free free medical advice off the two of you, but in retrospect and from now on, if I went to the shop with my bottle of water, I'd probably be less inclined to buy the sugary sweetened drink. If for no other reason than I already have a bottle in my hand and it's quite you know look a bit mad walking around with two of them 
Yes, um, you'd be also less likely to be thirsty. And we find that um, people have these stronger, what we call consumption and reward stimulations for sugar-sweetened beverages. The degree to which people think about drinks in general in terms of consumption and rewards of what it feels like and how good it feels, that degree predicts desire and it predicts intake, so actual consumption behavior in thirsty participants for sugar-sweetened beverages. So if you think about sugary drinks in terms of mm, how wonderful they taste and how good they feel, then when you're thirsty, that will absolutely predict your intake. So you're, you're right. Um, if you have something else there, which also incidentally can make sure you're not feeling thirsty, that will help you kind of um, resist these temptations or seeing them indeed as just as less tempting to begin with. So I think that's a really good strategy. Yeah. So, there, so sorry, go on, Amy. I was just going to say as well, um, you having your bottle there is reminding you is acting as almost the prime of this long-term goal you have to build this water habit in a situation where you know usually that goal is not going to be prevalent and you're not going to want to kind of enact on it so it's also kind of um a good resource to remind you of that goal in an environment or a situation where you might kind of sidestep it and then go another route and that you're not really wanting to go down so well i'll tell you now and again i'm kind of it's, I'm coming to some really interesting self-realizations talking to both of you about my own um, strategies. Uh, firstly, I'm realizing how extreme they are and why other people don't do them. So, for example, one of the ways I dodged buying my, I'm saying sugar-sweetened beverage because I, I don't want to name them, but it's, I'll edit it out. It's Coke Zero. I'm a fiend for it. Um, uh, is uh, there's two entrances to the shop beside my work one is it's a it's a tesco metro and one is supposed to be the entrance only and one is supposed to be the exit only but if you go in the entrance you go straight past all the sugar sweetened beverages so i started going in the exit so i wouldn't have to walk past them the first thing i came into the shop i was pretty proud of that i have to tell you <laughs> That's let me talk is amy this brings us really um neatly onto one of the things I found most interesting, and I think it also uh, correlates with findings and habits generally, which is um, self-identity. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about the people who self-identified as water drinkers. I think there was very few, like what, maybe three out of 60, is that right? Yeah, so there was two that we were like really comfortable with kind of interpreting with that label. There were a few others that kind of um, we thought might make the list, but there was two in particular where I just thought it's very clear and that you match this interpretation that we have. And and yeah, when it comes to the link between having really good water drinking habits um, and it being part of your self-identity, what we found here was these two participants, they valued um, this behavior. So they had the, the knowledge and, and the belief that water was something that was very good for them and that they should be doing. Um, and then they just really spoke about this behavior as being an extension of themselves. So we had someone say, you know, it's just been a part of me for so long um, and it's just a part of my everyday life to sip on water throughout the day so it really was an extension of them it wasn't a separate behavior that they were doing it was just a part of their life um, and they viewed water as being a very positive entity so a lot of people would say water you know yeah it's good for you because it's not got the negative effects of other drinks so it's it's not a negative drink rather than framing it as a positive drink or they were pretty neutral about it but people who had water as part of their self-identity 
really just believed that water was something that was a very positive thing for them to be drinking. And then that just came down to, you know, within every situation, they were drinking this effortlessly and automatically. So it wasn't an effort like you've been describing of, you know, having to make sure there's cues, having to remove yourself from certain situations where you're tempted by other things. For them, by this point, you know, having integrated it into their self-identity, it was just effortless um, and easy for them to drink this, regardless of the situation that they were in. I mean, it's it's. I what I have I have in my head a mental picture of those two people, and I'm just curious mm-hmm. if I'm right. Like I have in my head that they're kind of I don't know artistic, yoga loving, nature enthusiasts. Like that they're slim. I mean, am I close? No, actually, which is actually really interesting. It wasn't. I mean, one of them had a background, so she um, as she grew up, she'd been um, you know uh, involved in athletics and sports, so that possibly could have been where that came from that you know you were in that environment that really promoted this behavior and promoted a value in this behavior um and and the other woman was actually in the older age category so 55 plus and had just this had been something that she'd done through her whole life she actually was like I can't think back and and tell you when it's literally just something I've done for so long so they don't fit that you know kind of stereotype that you might come with linking people um, and other health behaviors um, but yeah, they just spoke about it as something that was so natural. You know, the 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 earlier participant, the one who was kind of brought up in athletics, which could possibly be you know the reason for this, spoke about picking up her bottle and taking a sip, like picking up her phone. And and you know how habitual picking up your phone is and checking it—that is just a very natural behavior to do. She couldn't even like describe it. She just when I asked her what's the thought process when you go to take a drink she had her bottle at the interview and, and she just went well it's just like and then she picked it up and she just drank from it and and that's how simple it was to her um and I mean for us this was a really interesting finding the the thing that we do have is that there wasn't a lot of data there specifically on self-identity so it's hard to really understand this construct construct as it relates to water drinking but we're going to be looking at that in, in more detail moving forward in our research to try and like you say, uncover what makes a person integrate this behavior as part of their self-identity. And is self-identity important, you know, in predicting, you know, them being able to do this automatically and consistently throughout situations? Well, and and what's, well, again, not, not telling you how to do yeah. your job. Like what I'm kind of interested in now from my point of view is, mm-hmm. you know, uh, why am I suddenly a water drinker? You know, I, I haven't fundamentally changed. So is the reason I'm sticking with it because I don't want to fail at picking up the habit or because I want to be more healthy or because it's making me feel better? I know you don't have the answers. I don't have the answers either. But it, it just seems to me there could be a couple of ways of kind of coming at it. So I know Irish water companies, that's just one kind of question. I don't know, did it arise at all? Like, I am just too, when I go to a shop, right, if I'm going to spend money, I'm going to spend it on something I really want or enjoy. Like, I just can't bring myself to pay for something Mm -hmm. that I can get for free from the tap. Scabby is what some people would say. Um, But that's a bit of a difficulty, I suppose, once you're out and about. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're, if you, even if you bring your water bottle, it runs out. If you don't get home again, 
you know, you're, you're going to go past your hydration point or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Did it come up in any of the interviews? Like, were people okay with paying for water? Am I on my own? Um, no. And um, so there was actually a kind of fourth, um, a third theme, sorry, um, finding that came up. But it just wasn't as relevant to our research questions. So it wasn't included. Um, but there was a lot of data on actually this kind of bottle versus tap um, debate, which you can have in Scotland because our tap water is drinkable and, you know, the, the entire country and it's free um, to an extent. And then bottled water, you know, people would talk about it, you know, it's, it's more expensive than petrol or I'm not paying for something that I can get for free. I mean, that was very much prevalent in, in a lot of the participants so you do have that barrier as well that if you're going to pay one pound for a bottle of something it's going to be a bottle of something that you, that you can't get for free and um, yeah, it definitely did come up um, but I think another thing as well when you're talking about how you frame it um, and you were talking about yourself you know am I a water drinker now is that important uh, there, there is research not necessarily in water that we've kind of been looking at um, on how you frame a new habit and people looked at healthy eating and, and you know they framed it in terms of you make the goal sound like I want to become a healthier eater or the goal I want to eat more healthy and and one's framed in terms of integrating it into your self-identity and the other is just framed in terms of performing a new behavior and is one better than the other and I think there's kind of preliminary evidence that actually trying to integrate it into your self-identity could be you know, a, a good way of getting uh, maintained and, and, and consistent change in the behaviour that you want to enact. Maybe yeah. just one thing to add there, which I find really interesting also uh, in this, um, you know, very timely in this research area that relates to the question of are you willing to pay um, for, for, for bottled water? Mm-hmm. In our feature listing studies where people describe drinks, they had problems with water being bottled. Mm-hmm. So for bottled water, they said it's plastic. They also said it's overpriced, but said it's plastic, it's irresponsible, it's bad for the environment, we shouldn't buy bottled water. Of course, for bottled drinks, however, you know, they also, they come in the same plastic bottle, but people didn't have problems with that. And I find that so interesting that in the context of water, people find the, the packaging problematic, but in the context of sugar-sweetened beverages, um, they didn't. But again, it seems to be this idea that, you know, you can also get it from the tab um, that that make, that gives rise to this. But, um, you know, people don't drink it enough from the tab. But in terms of like the environmental impact, that is that seems to be a real barrier for some people. But then again, you know, the advice would be to kind of have a really nice reusable water bottle. And then again, for city councils and other organizations to put out lots of refilling stations where people can get cold filtered water that tastes good and they don't have to step up in a bar or in a shop and ask for their bottle to be refilled, which you can do, but people find it awkward so they don't do it. But having a refill available would kind of get you over this issue. Yeah, I was actually going to suggest that. I mean, there are practically no filling stations or, or, you know, old drinking fountains or anything in in Dublin city centre. And and if there was, I think there would be a a kind of, you would, your natural reaction would be, oh, I'm not drinking from that. You don't know who's been at that or who's done what to it or whatever. Um, but But it raises two interesting questions, I think. Sorry, I keep saying it raises interesting questions. The questions are my own. They may be not interesting at all, but they're interesting to me. Um, 
one of which is is this concept of uh i suppose you might call it a tribe or whatever so you know if you're in we, we talked before if you're if you're an athlete or if you're in an environment where there's a, a, a water drinking habit generally you're more likely to pick it up so i suppose from from your point of view in terms of policy you could say right well at a top level if it was made more important which amy referred to earlier and part of the health agenda and more uh, emphasis was put on the importance then more people would be doing it you'd see more people do it, it you it would feel kind of odd if you were the only person who were, wasn't doing it and the kind of positive peer pressure would bring to you, you uh, in for the ride I guess but then there's this other issue on a, a personal level of the reward and like we haven't really got into it in much detail but reward is really important for developing a habit and I think well I don't know like water is boring like it's bland it doesn't taste good so do we need to put an emphasis on ways to make it more uh like taste better like in terms of flavoring or or adding things to it or whatever uh, subject to you know making it unhealthy I, I get that but was that part of people's process yeah, so I it, this question comes up a lot in terms of kind of getting people to shift also from sugar sweetened beverages towards uh, towards drinking water. Um, whether having kind of transitional beverages helps, we haven't studied this empirically, um, but the bland taste of water indeed is not what is enticing about water. However, what does predicts motivation and desire in our studies is people experiencing the physical impact of drinking water, the degree to which it's refreshing and energizing, that seems to be motivating to people. So rather than maybe focusing on the direct taste in the mouth, um, trying to um, give more attention to just, you know, experiencing kind of physical pleasure from the refreshment, that might be um, a way to, you know, to make it um, a bit more rewarding as an experience in addition to other like external cues that you can use that we talked about in terms of having a nice bottle, for example. Um, but so that is indeed where water um, is at a disadvantage, um, but people do perceive benefits. And I think we just got to learn to work with those and they're slightly different than for sugary drinks. Right. Uh, Amy, did you notice like where people so uh, one of the things that I'm having an ongoing battle, it sounds like my marriage is in problems, it's not, but an ongoing battle with my wife is I was using kind of like dilutables like Kiora or whatever else, but I found the zero sugar one, which is sweetened with, I don't know, stevia or stevia or however you pronounce it. Um, like, did people try and do stuff to make water more appealing for them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people would use flavoured water and they talked about cutting down on um, fizzy juice or sugar-sweetened beverages. Um, fizzy juice is the colloquial term for it. Um, yeah, they definitely cut down on that um, using the diluting juice, the kind of added um, flavoured flavours to it, or they would add like sliced fruit in there if they were really trying to move away um, from... Uh, sugared additives another thing that they did which I find quite interesting was use soda um, sparkling water or soda water flavoured to simulate that kind of sugar sweetened beverage fizziness um, without actually having to drink those fizzy juices so there definitely was a sense of I want to drink more water but the barrier there is the taste and the experience so they, they kind of 
almost did it in a phase stage of okay I'll, I'll start drinking this sparkling water with just a little bit of flavoring in it um but then for us it's okay now that you've done that how do we get you to the next stage which is you know drinking kind of more pure water that doesn't have any additive in it so yeah definitely was a strategy um, that people used i've had a um i have it in my hand now i bought as part of this process a uh uh, they do cold infused teas. So I bought uh, Twining's cold infused tea for water bottles. That's what literally what it says on the uh, label. It's watermelon, strawberry and mint flavored. But I haven't been able to bring myself to drink it. I just <laughs> it's, it's unopened. I'm just looking at it now going, oh, I don't know. Cold, cold tea. I, oh, I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure about it. And <laughs> um, so I guess, I mean, what the two kind of curious questions I had is and it comes back to the knowledge and knowing what we should do and doing it Uh, do you both before you did this did you both have good hydration habits um uh, and if not do you now (laughs) um yeah so for me I think that's quite interesting um when I was um we call it being like reflexive when we're analyzing the data um, to try and understand how you fit with what these participants have been saying and your interpretations and I had to ref- like reflect back on that. I was a very good water drinker growing up, being in an athletic setting and it being really important. And then I stopped playing sports and there was a notable drop to a point where actually there was health practitioners who told me, like, you're dehydrated, you need to just keep drinking more water. Um, and after that point, made a very, like, um, uh, a very big effort in my life to make that change. So now I would say, yeah, I drink water every day. Um, I have my bottle with me wherever I go and if there's a day where I haven't drank water that I notice that and I find that really weird and, and get quite uncomfortable about it so um, that's what attracted me to this project is um, kind of going through that experience of you know being a really good water drinker having the kind of health impact of of going away from it and then then coming back coming back to it later in my life so that's kind of my journey with it, but um, I'm definitely learning a lot more about it doing this project. Uh, I didn't realize it was going to be so complex. <laughs> it would be very funny yesterday if you, the expert on how habits affect our eating and drinking habits, told me that you eat nothing but McDonald's all day and you're as big as a house drinking Coke. But I presume that's not the case. Not actually, no. Um, but I haven't always been a good water drinker either. Um, growing up, medium. In college, medium, I would say, actually not very enthusiastic. Um, But in pregnancy and with breastfeeding, I just had incredible uh, feelings of thirst the whole time. I started drinking a lot of water and I've just kept that up very easily, though, because now if I don't, my body tells me to drink more. So I have very clear thirst signals that if I ignore them, I just feel uncomfortable. So um, it's very easy in that sense for me to drink a lot of water. But I always have my bottle with me, even within the house, in whichever room I am, I have my water bottle with me so I can constantly drink. And um, yeah, so of course, reading about this and studying this behavior um, in my work just, you know, makes it more a clear cut case that I should maintain that behavior. And so like, for example, with traveling, with going on holiday, when your routine is thrown off, I realize how important it is to have kind of good strategies to um to maintain habits even in really different settings so and the degree to which you kind of internalize the cues that lead to the behavior will make that easier Um, and of course at the moment we don't travel much or 
at all. I don't think I've traveled since March, really. But, you know, <laughs> I guess there will be a time, I hope so, when this challenge will, will come again. And then I think, um, yeah, it's just, it, it's still, even if you have a strong habit, it takes some awareness, you know, to implement the behavior in really different types of settings. But, yeah, overall, I would say I'm a, I'm a good water drinker and I try to um, get my kids to drink water such that they, you know, do it in school and everything. And then, of course, the issue of going to the bathroom comes up and school policy around this. So you see that there's all kinds of little obstacles um, that can derail that kind of behavior. And so I think in the end, there's also going to be a lot of opportunities for policy to um, to facilitate, you know, building environmental structures that help with this kind of behavior. That, two two very quick questions um, bef before I let you go, because I'm extremely conscious that I was late and we've run over our time already. So uh, apologies again for that. Um, but very quickly, um, you mentioned the, the, the thirst cues. And I know you're not medical doctors, either of you, and I have talked to uh, for the podcast a doctor about this as well. Mm -hmm. But my experience, just pure personal experience, is that I never got thirsty before I started this habit. So I, I may, sorry, when I say I never got thirsty, I was never aware of any thirst cues or being thirsty unless I'd been playing sports or something. But day to day, never. Um, but now, like as we're speaking now, my mouth is dry. I'm thirsty. Um, did you have any experience like that where once you were focused on it or once you took it on as a habit, you started noticing cues that weren't there before? I know, Esther, you mentioned yours was uh, kind of triggered with breastfeeding and it, further intake there. But uh, is there anything to that for either of you? Um, I mean, for me, I, I've never really thought about it, even though it did come up when we spoke to you know the participants. A lot of the reason why they weren't drinking consistently was because they said that they just drank water in reaction to thirst but then throughout the day they never tended to think like oh I should keep my ha myself hydrated they didn't make any conscious effort to to think oh I've not drank anything today you know we had people say like it's not till the end of the day and I've not peed all day and then I'm like oh my god I've actually not drank anything today so you can very easily go through the whole day and and not have any experience of thirst cues and that's not to say that you're not thirsty and then you had people who just actively ignored it you know we had one participant say I would just ignore the feeling of being thirsty until I'm like you know lightheaded or something and lightheadedness is obviously you know a more extreme case of dehydration than just that feeling of thirst you're used to in your mouth so um for me I think I'm very aware of my thirst cues now and um, because I drink water so much if I don't you know I can feel it just in myself um, or what I perceive as dehydration of myself and I'll always go and get a glass of water but for the majority of people you know they didn't have that awareness or they suppressed it um, and it wasn't necessarily because they didn't need it because some participants when they were in the interview with me having that time to reflect would say you know well, I could go for a drink of water now you know that I'm thinking about it I probably am thirsty but during the day you know I just don't have time to think so you kind of then get to understand how when you're in certain situations, in certain environments, it's quite easy to to um, ignore that. And it's not as easy to say drink when you're thirsty and it'll all be okay <laughs> um, for people. It, it would be remiss of me to have a whole conversation with the two of you without talking about pee a little bit. So let's just have a quick talk on that. Um, I never knew there was a colour chart for a start. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> so yeah. there, there's a like an NHS chart about your pea colour. Mm -hmm. um, 
like we should know that i mean like we that should be a thing that you can kind of like i i don't know whether well, you shouldn't have your phone in the toilet but there should be an app so you can kind of look or take a photo and go right you're dehydrated mm-hmm. yeah we're working on that thanks <laughs> <laughs> i'm serious i think there's yeah. money money to be made in that um, yeah. and then the final thing just on p um i forgot one other reason that i decided to make water the the kind of if you want a keystone or foundational habit or whatever is because I had read someone talking about um, habit stacking that as it's been popularized uh, and saying that you could build a habit then out of what arises when you go to the toilet, because it is, it is an inevitable consequence of drinking loads more water that you're going to go to the toilet more. So I started doing another habit every time I went to the toilet and because I was drinking so much water, I went to the toilet a lot more and that habit um, took root a lot quicker and easier as well. So you can kind of think of it as a utilitarian, multifunctional way of, of doing things better. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. You, I'm, just saying um listen it's been it's been really really interesting um and uh if, if for nothing else i think if if i if i never see a, a quote from a scientific study uh, uh as well <laughs> as this after i've brushed my teeth at night i guzzle water like an absolute goblin straight from the tap from sarah that cheered me up no end uh, as well as uh amy's um dutiful translation of the scottish uh, accent into english that the rest of the world might be able to understand it, it was like reading um uh train spotting or one of those books by your man who, who writes them all in extreme thick scottish accents um Thank you so much for taking your time out of the day uh, to speak to me. It was a really interesting um, chat, as was a, a, the really interesting paper. Um, and as I say, I hope that, um, not that I'm on a mission, but I hope that um, some people listening to this will realise that, you know, there are science papers out there that, you know, just Joe public can find and read and that are very interesting um, and that they should, um, they should because uh, you can learn a lot, as I did. Um, so thank you very much for your time, both of you. Yeah, thanks. And uh, you'll find a lot more on Dr. Pappy's on YouTube. Uh, uh, She's been at a number of conferences about uh, sustainable and healthy food and drink and uh, interviews with her up there on YouTube. I will link to uh, the paper we were talking about on the website and also um, give you some links to uh, the two people that we were talking to as well, Amy Roger and Dr. Esther Pappy's. Um, The next episode is also going to be one about water. Um, uh, I'm going to be chatting to a doctor from New York uh, who believes that she has found an easier and better way um, to stay hydrated Uh, and I'll give you all the details on that in the next episode which is coming in just a few days Um, for now if you have enjoyed the podcast please do leave a review give it a few stars um, because uh, if you don't then probably very few people will hear these podcasts because that's just how the algorithms work Um, so I would greatly appreciate it and you can also sign up for the um, weekly uh, what would you call it yeah email (laughs) that's exactly what you call it uh, on the mailing list on the website at thehabitshabit.com where you can also sign up for that free course uh okay that's it we're out we're out nobody says we're out we out we out dog the, the, the podcast is over though <laughs>